Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a review. It's just a couple people discussing a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they grew up with, something that they've seen a hundred times. We talk about the plot, the actors, Um, and just their favorite moments, but we also talk about how that movie uh, has deeper meaning for them, why they relate to it so much, why they love it so much. So if that's something you're interested in, keep listening. Okay. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a guest with me here today. Uh, This is Daniel. Say hi, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. (laughs) Uh, Daniel, what what movie are we going to talk about today? We are talking about my favorite all-time movie, Superman the Movie. Yes. Awesome. And uh, Daniel, I kind of, I think it's a good idea in this segment to sort of like introduce you to our audience. Um, in addition to being a really big Superman fan, Daniel also likes to portray Superman. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So um, in our other identities. <laughs> in another life. <laughs> um, we, uh, all three of us, um, donate some of our time to help special needs children or um, children in various situations whose lives are brightened up by a visit from their favorite characters and I am the Superman of the group. Yeah. So uh, actually tomorrow night we're doing a visit to Scottish Rite Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, over the weekend we just did an event for the Shriners. And this coming weekend we have another one um, which will double as a tribute to Adam West. So yeah. it's it's a um, it's a wonderful thing that, that we get to do to portray our heroes – and be a hero to others. I agree. I, I will say to you, Daniel, that uh, my husband and I have cosplayed for years. I mean, I think I went to probably my first convention cosplaying, I would say, maybe when I was 16 or 17, so a long time ago. And in all this time, I've never really volunteered. I've always kind of thought about it. It's always kind of been on my mind. But it really wasn't until we got into portraying superheroes that that's what did it. I, yeah, it's like it just there's something about just wearing a cape, you know, <laughs> it just mm-hmm. kind of makes yeah. you want to do something good. Well, I don't, I don't wear a cape. Well, yeah, the Flash doesn't wear a cape. My husband's the Flash, but um, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, they're terribly comfortable. In the future, everyone will have them. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's just there's something about how inspiring I guess these stories are, how positive they are. This sort of wants makes you want to carry that over into into real life and do something good. So, I think that group that we're a part of is is super awesome, and um, it's been just a real joy to be a part of it. And so glad to have you on the show. Thank you. I I have been looking forward to this for a long time. I I really am a fan of your show, and we're getting oh, to to uh, this. Just feels like the two of you have come over and you've said, what do you want to talk about? And then I just start to smile. That's awesome. (laughs) So, um, I guess, I guess from here we'll kind of 
just start getting into it a little bit. I'm going to start off with some, I guess, some personal questions for you about this movie. Uh, this is one of my favorite questions. Uh, when did you see this movie? Did you see it in theaters or? I did see it in theaters. I saw it in as many theaters as people would take me to see it in theaters. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I was 10 years old. Nice. That is the perfect, perfect age. age. Yeah. 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 Um, I was nine years old for Star Wars and 10 years old for Superman. Wow, that's that's awesome. And um, in those days, the poster that said, you'll believe a man can fly was not empty hyperbole. It really had not been done before. And to sit in the dark and see it was the most incredible thing that I had ever seen. Yeah, we, we were watching the, the behind the scenes and they were talking about how that was the most challenging part of the movie coming up with how he would fly. It's just something you don't think about as much anymore, you know, in, in modern cinema because there's just so many different effects. But um, oh. he, he does fly a lot in the movie and, you know, that's a really important part of it is making that convincing. <laughs> yeah, people forget they didn't just have him fly once or twice. I mean, they fully committed. He's going to be flying all over this thing. <laughs> and and it was such a big difference for me because growing up on the black and white television show, I mean, George Reeves is awesome. He's great. I love the man. But when he flew, he was basically laying on a table while crew moved some clouds behind him. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little noticeable. A, a little, little more, bit. A little more challenging than, I guess, than uh, than some of the stuff Batman did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. It's a lot to live up to. I mean, I think this movie really set the gold standard for what superhero movies should be. All superhero and, movies, really. For, yeah, it's what every one of them is compared out. to. Yeah. Yeah. And and especially with the release of Wonder Woman this month, I especially have gone back and compared a lot of things to Superman the movie. Mm -hmm. The charm, the the purity of spirit of the lead character, the actual embodiment of heroism, a lot of those things to me, you can trace a direct line back to Superman the movie. Um, I, I would tell you an, an interesting story about when I first saw it, except that I just now did. <laughs> that was an end of story. It's so weird. I guess, you know, maybe there's just two camps of people. For me, growing up, I, I, I mainly saw, you know, the 1989 Batman. And when you go to the Warner Brothers, when there used to be a Warner Brothers store, remember that? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it was all it was all about Batman. Uh, so that's kind of what I grew up with. So I kind of missed this era completely. But actually, Nick, he, he said he had seen it several times growing up. I remember I, I saw it up until we, we rewatched it or I rewatched it, at least watched it for the first time the other night. I think the last time I had seen it, I probably was the age you were when you first saw it. I, I'd seen it several times as a child. And I remember watching the black and white TV show also. And so I grew up as a kid watching the Superman TV show, uh, of course, Adam West Batman show. And, uh, and I remember watching this one several times, but it had been so long since I've seen it. It was almost like watching it for the first time when we saw it a couple nights ago. And it was it was kind of refreshing to see a movie that, as I was watching it, it was becoming more familiar, but I couldn't remember what was about to happen. So it was kind of like I remembered scenes, but at the same time, they were very new to me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times when you revisit an old movie, it can be like that. It could be good or bad. Sometimes mm-hmm. you revisit an old movie and oh, you're like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes you revisit it and it's a really positive experience like but this one. It, it did. It just it kind of made me go back to when I was like a kid sitting on the the living room rug watching the TV I have a couple of quick facts, and Daniel, I feel like you're going to have a lot more, so I'll give mine, and then you jump in. So here we go with our quick facts. Uh, I, I didn't even notice this. Nick, you probably did because you're, you're very observant, but apparently Clark Kent and Superman part their hair on different sides in Correct. this movie. <laughs> I did not notice that, but I like that a lot. Uh, the, the parting of the hair and glasses just really yeah, throws people throws off. throws everyone off. Um, also that this is the highest grossing film in Warner Brothers history at this time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's something really interesting. I guess, you know, this DC stuff is just a huge moneymaker for Warner Brothers. I, it said that the only thing to beat it out was was Batman after that. So yeah, the 89 one? Yeah, yeah. So this one was the highest grossing and biggest budget. Um, you, you mentioned, Daniel, that you saw this movie multiple times. Uh, it looks like it topped the box office charts for 13 consecutive weeks. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think this is, I mean, this is the pretty, the first, like, big budget superhero movie ever, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, where they were willing to kind of take it seriously and, you know, ha- have it be a fun movie, but also a, a good movie. A real movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Not as campy. Yeah. And and that, I think, was, was part of the achievement um, because Warner Brothers had the rights. They could have made this movie anytime they wanted to. And it took outside producers to come to them and say, we want to make a Superman film. And then Warner said, okay, well, you pay for everything and you show us what you've got and maybe we'll distribute it. So Warner's was sitting on this. They just, at that time, no one took superheroes seriously. We had a Spider-Man television show where Peter Parker was played by the oldest Von Trapp boy from Sound of Music. (laughs) We had... Wonder Woman, which was popular but but campy. Mm-hmm. Um, we had everyone's memories of the Batman 66, which was very prevalent in, in pop culture. And at almost exactly this time, the Incredible Hulk television show with Bill Bixby came on. And that show was modeled on the same format as Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. So you had a loner who walks a road and a path and he enters a town and he finds injustice and he doesn't want to use physical means to solve it, but ultimately he's forced to and he helps people and then he moves on. And again, he's only looking for peace. And so because it was modeled on that format, The Incredible Hulk actually won some Emmy Awards. Oh, I didn't know that. That combined with the blockbuster power of Star Wars is what convinced Warner Brothers to take a chance on these producers and this director who says, no, we want to do it more realistic and it, it will be a film, not just a large TV show, but it was a, it was a huge risk and it took them bringing in some, some major names for anyone to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Some names that are really hesitant. We'll we'll get into that, but uh, it was interesting reading about you know nowadays when they ask a, a really famous actor or actress to be a part of these movies, they're they're kind of like jumping at the chance. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine a time where that was actually a risk, like you're saying, but there was. So 
Um, I think I think in this part too. Or did you have any more, some more facts? Oh, I've got tons of facts. <laughs> well, go- how, how long do you have, Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were close to twenty different capes, capes of all different lengths. Um, his shoes would zip in different places depending on where the camera was going to be. So when he's laying on the railroad track and you actually get to see the back of his boots, he had boots that zipped in the front. That's, that's um, really interesting. That kind of makes me feel better about uh, making costumes because sometimes yeah. you run into those issues of like, where do I put the zipper or how am I going to make this functional? <laughs> yeah. When I was making my own Superman belt, I found an image of a time where he was spinning a bad guy around and his cape flew out and the camera wasn't supposed to film the back of him because normally the cape would cover it up. But in this case, it was flying sideways and you got to see just how poorly the back of his belt was put together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Movie and magic. I thought, oh, okay. Well, I can do it that way. Um, I also know... You know, it's always interesting to know who would have played the role or who was supposed to have played the role. Oh, so, yeah. you know, we all know Tom Selleck was uh, in line to be Indiana Jones, etc. Mm-hmm. Superman, when Richard Donner, the director, signed on and agreed to be the, mo- uh, the director of the film, they handed him uh, some information. And part of that information that he agreed to do is that Superman would be played by Nick Nolte. Oh, no. <laughs> Man, Nick Nolte had a lot of... Opportunities back, back then. Back in the day, would have been <laughs> yeah. better. Not the Nick Nolte one we know now. No, but I think I think he was another one, even for Indiana Jones. It's like it's just hard to picture that. <laughs> yeah. What was he doing? Yeah. What, what was so impressive that he was constantly requested for these roles? Not running into people's houses at the time. <laughs> but um, let's see. I may, if it's okay, run over the synopsis real quick. Yeah. Uh, so 1978, Superman. Just before the destruction of the planet Krypton, scientist Jor-El sends his infant son, Kal-El, on a spaceship to Earth. Raised by kindly farmers Jonathan and Martha Kent, young Clark discovers the source of his superhuman powers and moves to Metropolis to fight evil. As Superman, he battles the villainous Lex Luthor, while as novice reporter Clark Kent, he attempts to woo co-worker Lois Lane. I think that's a pretty good synopsis. Yeah. Leaves out some action moments, but <laughs> overall it's correct. Well, I kind of wanted to start off with going through uh, some people in this film as well. So we'll talk a little bit about Richard Donner. To be honest with you, this director's name, it it doesn't jump out at me. I couldn't think of automatically what other movies he had done before. But then when I read the list, I was like, oh, these are a lot of my favorite movies growing up. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Lethal Weapon franchise, I think he did two of them, I think, one and two. Uh, I love Scrooged, classic. I like to watch it every Christmas. Uh, and The Goonies. Yeah, yeah, love The Goonies. So uh, it looks and, like he, and he was he was given this film on the back of him having directed The Omen. Oh, that's right, that's right. That's another classic. And the original one, you can forget the new one. Yeah, <laughs> the new one's not as good. But <laughs> <Okay>. yeah, <laughs> but <Thanks>. yeah. <laughs> uh, so. So, yeah, I, I like his work, and a lot of these titles, excluding The Omen, um, <laughs> have that kind of fun quality to them. Oh, you know, especially The Omen. <laughs> especially The Omen, yeah. <laughs> but, but you can kind of see, you know, a, a pattern in some of these movies being, I mean, I, you know, it's just kind of along the ranks of 
I guess some of the earlier like Steven Spielberg or Robert Zemeckis, like these big budget, uh, fun films, fun, you know, blockbuster friendly films. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely see that influence. Um, do you have any facts about this particular director? Um, when he was explaining the tone of the film that he was going to make to cast and crew, he used the word verisimilitude. Oh, we saw that in the in the uh, behind the scenes we just oh, watched. Yeah, it's got that little sign where Superman's mm-hmm. holding that mm-hmm. that banner. So, so he put above the door where everyone who came to talk to him during production would see it uh, a drawing of Superman flying and holding behind him a banner like a plane would pull and it said verisimilitude and it in essence means a tangible realism. Mhm. So, when he had Superman talking to Lex Luthor about Lex's plan, it was just one person trying to find out a secret from another person. And what that secret was was immaterial. This is how people behave when one person is trying to hide something from someone else. And, and you, you see that in, see in a lot of the other films. I mean, in, in the Lethal Weapon, the relationship that, that they have, and in the Goonies, the relationship the kids have with each other, it, it just seems like this is how people are and this is how they talk. And that's, that's Richard Donner's trademark. Yeah. So when you watched uh, Superman the movie, did you watch the extended cut with the scenes put in that were taken out? See, I I don't know. I just rented it. Um, We have Apple TV and I rented it on iTunes. I don't think it was I don't think there were any extra scenes. I was reading about some extra scenes today that I don't remember seeing when we watched it. So I think it was just the theatrical cut. Okay, well, here's an easy way to tell. When when he was on his way to Lex's lair for the first time, did he have to walk through a gauntlet that had bullets, fire, and ice? I don't know. I, I think, do not recall that. I think we saw the regular version. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in the original uh, director's cut, there is an extended scene where Superman is talking to Jor-El in the Fortress of Solitude. And part of that speech is Clark is confessing to to Jor-El, I had a really good night saving people. Um, I caught Lois from a helicopter, and then I just wanted to do more, and I flew around doing more. And I'm sorry, I, I know I shouldn't have shown myself to the world, but it just felt so good. And Jor-El gives him this wonderful facial expression of love and he says, I knew this would happen. And Superman looks at him and he says, you couldn't possibly have known. And Jor-El said, of, of course this would have happened. He said, but you have to be careful to maintain your secret identity. And Cal says, why? And he says, because well, there's two reasons. One, you need to know that your enemies will come after your loved ones. And secondly, and to me, the most important thing that showed these people really thought about the character of Superman, Jor-El says, you cannot be Superman 24-7. Humans would call for your help endlessly, even for things that they could solve themselves. Hmm. It is their nature to abuse a resource in this way. Wow. Is there um, any indication how Jor-El knew this about humanity? 
in the movie, or is that in the the Superman lore? I am glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so in in the history of Krypton, the reason that it exploded is they abused the resource of the energy from the planet's core. Okay, so they're essentially saying this is what we did. <laughs> yes. This is what they will do. Mm. Yes, and what he was trying to convince the Science Council of is basically you have to believe me. This is their equivalent of global warning. That was a pun. Global warning. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't know. If yeah. you, <laughs> I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> no. Like I tell my wife, if you don't laugh, I'll keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> that might help me sometimes when I'm slow. <laughs> Read the label. <laughs> yes. So Jor-El himself had, had butted his head up against the wall at the Science Council. He was trying to explain, we abused our resources and we shouldn't have, but here we are. And so he was explaining to Cal, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and in in the same way as as Wonder Woman, that you really have to let people solve their own problems. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard people say that the end of that movie is kind of anticlimactic or contrary because you know she keeps talking about how much she believes in humanity and yet takes a hundred year break. But <laughs> the biggest thing I walked away with in in you know, in this movie and even in the BVS one is in both situations, there was an outside force, you know, there was... It wasn't man. Yeah, it wasn't man. It was uh, a god or in BVS it was doomsday. So it seemed like she was saying that's the time she's allowed to step in when... Mm -hmm. uh, It's not man versus man. It has to be an outside force. That's when she offers her power to mankind. Uh, Going back to Jor-El, what do you think of the Marlon Brando casting like do you feel that he really captures who that character is or i do you do okay yeah and and not just um because his star power is what got the film off the ground in in practical terms but i also just think he was a a fantastic jor-el and the the sincere love that he had for his child um and even the the tender respect that he had for his wife as they're making this terrible decision, you understand why Kal-El had such a good heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, especially not, like you said, being present, but just, you know, how he felt about his son and what he was passing on. Yeah. Um, I read that Marlon Brando, no, no surprise to anybody, <laughs> was the highest paid actor at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he agreed to do this movie if it wrapped up in 12 days of shooting, uh, his scenes wrapped up in 12 days of shooting. So kind of, kind of like Gene Hackman, which we'll talk about in a minute, just a little, I guess, hesitant with this movie. Yeah. He was paid in the neighborhood of $3 million for 12 days of shooting. Wow. I want that job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? Well, you got to be Marlon Brando. Here's my resume. <laughs> but... But keep in mind that this was after The Godfather. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah. And not only was The Godfather going to be in this Superman comic book movie, and no one could understand why, but the script was written by the author of The Godfather. Oh, okay. So for people to know that it's the writer of The Godfather, it's The Godfather himself, it's by the director of The Omen, these were all blockbuster films that everyone loved and that's what made step one happen then Mm -hmm. gene hackman comes on who had won an oscar for the french connection Mm -hmm. and after that it was 
able to happen and we all reap the benefits. So in in both ways, what Marlon Brando was paid for went to above and beyond his 12 days it it he lifted the whole project you know and and contrast that chris evans for being captain america in the first avenger was paid two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. wow it's hard to imagine a time when chris evans wasn't chris evans yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he did more than 12 days of work uh yeah i think so (laughs) i'm gonna have to agree with that uh, I also read, um, back to Marlon Brando, the last thing that I have about him, um, that the S was his idea. Did you read that? Um, no, no, I didn't yeah, know that, that. that. like he wanted to wear the S when he's Jor-El and that that actually became a part of the comics. Like they, well, I, I read that they, they reinvented a lot of things in the comics based on this movie because it was just so popular that just they the wanted S to incorporate it. just the S or that it. specific shape? No, I think it's the S. I think mm. I think before that, the S for Superman is kind of like something Superman. we came up with. Yeah. yeah, but he started this idea of it being, I guess, like their their coat of arms. And so, and I, I really like that. loved that even in Smallville, the TV series, uh, you can feel the the reverence and respect for everything that Richard Donner did in these films. And there's so much of it that they have just decided this is real. This is what we're going to do, Clark came from this family it had this crest the fortress comes from a crystal it looks like this and they just decided this is real um i have next on my list gene hackman i read that he refused to shave his head and that's why because i didn't know a lot of times people say you know lex luthor he's supposed to be bald of course Mm -hmm. um and he isn't in this movie but that he like completely refused did not want to shave his head he almost didn't shave a mustache either that's right yeah and it's like that's so funny to me i I don't know if actors still do that (laughs) as much anymore but now i feel like people like completely change their bodies for every movie actors put themselves through to for a part looks wise and physical build wise it's i can't imagine someone would just get a haircut Yeah, it's like, that's so bizarre to me. You know, when you hear about somebody putting on 50 pounds of muscle or, you know, gaining a bunch of weight. Tom Hanks losing half his body weight. Yeah, and it's like, come on, Gene Hackman, you can you can cut your hair. But (laughs) and that uh, we were saying earlier, he initially turned down the role because he was worried about it would ruin his uh, reputation as a serious actor. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you were saying, Daniel, where people were a little reluctant to accept this as a, a real you know, classic and serious film. Yeah. And not something campy or Batman 66 ish. Um, I, I read Dustin Hoffman also turned this role down. Mm-hmm. That's wow. kind of hard to picture him as Lex Luthor though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. I think Gene no. Hackman's a little better. <laughs> it, it, I think if it, if Dustin had done it, it would have been more the Jesse Eisenberg sort of just yeah. twitch, twitchy <laughs> kvetching yeah. Lex. The only residual thing that I see from this movie in the, uh, I guess, in, in Jesse's portrayal would be um, the outfits Gene Hackman wears. Very wacky. Yeah. <laughs> when he's Lex Luthor, it's like... I mean, it seems like his suits were like the definition of the 70s. Yeah, but they're they're yeah. pretty uh, over the top, yeah. The, the one thing that I really loved about what Gene did is there's a scene where he's trying to explain his grand master stroke to his his mall, his, his girl, and also his, you know, bumbling assistant. And they're just not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Typical and henchman. He, 
he just sort of puts his head in his hands and ever so slightly shakes his head. And to me, it just begged the question of why does a man who's so brilliant surround himself <laughs> with imbeciles? Yeah. And he, he, he out and out says that in the film. He says, who Superman is, is the greatest mystery of our time, except for why does a genius like me surround himself with imbeciles? <laughs> <laughs> and you watch the rest of his portrayal, and over time, over the years, I've come to realize that, that the reason that he does that is because a person like him has to feel superior every moment. I mean, that's mm -hmm. his issue with Superman, isn't it? You know, it's like... Part of his hating his existence is just that he's perfect. It's like the man that has everything. The one thing that he doesn't have is, you know, he's not he's not Superman. Right. So so he'll put up with lesser beings as long as he is at the top. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty accurate. <laughs> but but Gene also gives the best line of the entire film to me when he's watching Otis for the very first time come up to the lair and he's going through the the train station and he's being followed and he's just this fat lump dripping ice cream down the front of his suit and <laughs> and Lex is watching this on the monitor and he just says to himself it's amazing that brain generates enough power to keep those legs moving <laughs> that's awesome I feel like one thing that made Gene Hackman and, and Lex Luthor in general a good villain. It's like for Luther to win, he doesn't necessarily have to beat or kill Superman. Just his plan has to succeed. I mean, Superman could be fine without a scratch and he had lost if Luther's plan had like come to fruition. Right. And so it's yeah. kind of like, it's, it's a different type of villain. He's not trying to necessarily kill Superman. He just needs him out of the way so he can do what he's going to do. Yeah, if he could just put baby in the corner for about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. He'd be he'd be successful. Yeah. There's and, no portal in the sky opening. No. No. <laughs> not, nothing so grand. It's just I was in the middle of something you interrupted me. Can you please just not interrupt me? Right. And what I loved about Lex's just dealing with this is it was just another facet of, of a master equation that he had going on in his head. And as much as kryptonite, he knew Superman's weakness was his naivete, that right. you could drive a truck through the thoughts that this man doesn't have. Mm -hmm. He is not going to see anything that I do coming because he doesn't think that way. And so... That's why I never got a sense of, of fear coming from Lex because he would just look at this giant blue and red smiley person and right. say, I actually don't have to deal with you that much, as it turns out. Right. So. I think that's actually all I wrote down about Gene Hackman. Not that we couldn't talk about Gene Hackman for a long time because he's had such an incredible career and just is such an amazing talent. Like you said – uh, earlier, Daniel, that so many people in this movie are so talented. Isn't that amazing? When you include so many talented people in one movie, you get a good movie. <laughs> it shouldn't be surprising, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's it, it's great. I, I'm so glad that you know this film was made, and it, it definitely I think it changed things forever for for superhero films. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it started to be taken seriously. Yeah. And let's not forget in all of this, John Williams. Oh, I'm not familiar with that name. Which which character is that? This, this is dating me, <laughs> I think. 
the composer. The composer. Okay. Yes. So if um, if there are any listeners who are unfamiliar with the the name John Williams, he composed the themes for Star Wars, Jaws, E.T., Harry Potter. I didn't realize that. Harry Potter. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. So everything. Pretty much everything. I'll just edit remember. that part where I didn't remember who he was. Um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> gi- I'll give you one he did. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man. I need to start uh, including composers, clearly. <laughs> I'm missing a big part of the podcast by not doing that. <laughs> in fact, I, I play a game with my friends of in, in how few notes can you name John Williams' compositions? <laughs> yeah. And the winner is two. Jaws, I'm thinking. Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack makes a pretty big difference. I think I recognized this theme before I recognized this movie. You know, yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard this theme more. I hadn't seen the movie and yet I've heard the theme so many yeah, times. It's, it's in any, really any unknown superhero, they always parody that. That's the Superman song is usually what is parodied. In yeah. Like, uh, like a, a no name superhero, but they always play that because you know, oh, that's a Superman song. It's, he's he's going to be a superhero. When when Richard Donner talks about John Williams, it's in the same way that uh, George Lucas talks about him. George, in the in the making of the first Star Wars film, is famous for for saying that nothing went right, but he qualifies that he said except for working with John Williams. Oh. When Richard Donner talks about him, he said we had shot so much of the movie and we didn't know what the theme was going to be. And we sent him all of this footage, and so he wrote the theme to this footage. And so the first time I saw it, I was at the recording session, and there's a big screen, and it's playing the footage, and the 100-piece London Symphony Orchestra strikes up, and you hear, bum, 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 and Richard says, it said Superman to me. It said, Superman! <laughs> yeah. And, and he said, I ruined the recording because I yelled out, yes! <laughs> <laughs> like so many uh, audience members did when they first saw it, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of discussed all the actors, the director, and then uh, me not remembering the name of the composer. <laughs> <laughs> and the composer of several movies that I love. Um, but let's also talk about, I guess, some key points in the plot. Can you tell us some, just some scenes that really kind of stand out to you that that you love from watching this movie. I, I will. And then I, I want you to tell me the ones that stood out to you. Will do. Um, I thought that it's, and it's, and it's very subtle and it's very human, but in Smallville, when Clark is tired of being bullied and overlooked and he just runs home and passes a train and passes all the cool kids in the car and Pa Kent sees him and he says, you've been showing off a little, haven't you, son? And instantly Clark is, you know, the son who got caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that could have been a very cheesy moment. But the way that Glenn Ford played Pa Kent, he gives him one of the most incredible father to son speeches short of of Mufasa and Simba, I think, <laughs> that I have ever seen where... Clark is saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just tired of not being what I can be as a bird showing off when it flies. And his, his dad says, no, it, it isn't. But you are 
meant for something and you're here for a reason and I promise you it's not to score touchdowns. And in that whole conversation, he still let Clark know, I love you. I do not want you to deny who you are. I want you to find out everything about who you are. But I also want you to understand that you can settle for something or you can be greater. And I really want for you, for you to make the choice to be greater. And everything that came after that, everything that Superman ever did, I always felt like he had that lesson in his head. And well before with great power comes great responsibility was ever uttered on a screen. There was that speech from Pa Kent. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, Pa Kent is, is one of the greatest figures in all of literature. Could you imagine the responsibility of raising a God? Right. And if, if I ever had any doubts, can they portray that? Uh, They were dispelled in that, in that one speech that, that two minutes of film was just gold. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they do such a good job in this movie of of answering a lot of questions, you know, about how Superman is motivated, why he does the things he does based on some of the characters in the movie just explaining why he's doing that, but it not feeling like heavy, you know, exposition. Yeah. Right. I think that's that's difficult to do because you're you're fitting his entire lore, his whole life an origin story and then a regular story into one movie. I think that's difficult to do. I mean, you don't have to explain it too much because we know who Superman is, right. but it definitely helps to, you know, have these characters give such moving speeches about, you know, how, why he's so motivated to do these mm-hmm. things and how he makes his decisions. So I think, I think another, I don't know if it falls into favorite scene category, but one thing I like a lot about this movie that I don't think the new um, Man of Steel has or BVS is Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just so. It's a very different it's, portrayal. Yeah, of the it's it's like it's not Lois. It's not who that character is. I mean, in this movie and even in the comics, I mean, there's got to be a reason why Superman is so you know attracted to this. He could have anyone, right? Mm-hmm. And he's so powerful, and he's never going to find a partner that's on Earth that's physically his equal. But Lois Lane does this really good job of embodying humanity you know it's like the the character is there and he's in love with her but she is also just a metaphor i think for being human and because of his relationship with her you know it it really says a lot about his connection to to mankind and i think that in this movie and in the in the comics i mean you can see why he's so invested and interested in her but in the newer ones, she kind of comes off as just, you know, another girlfriend, like mm-hmm. a, a Pepper Potts or, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Just not not really holding her own in the way that I think Lois does. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think coming from Smallville and having had his crush on, on Lana Lang all those years, you know, Lana was the prettiest girl in school and the prettiest girl in town. And so he had – he had – as a teenager, done what teenagers do. You want that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then now he's in the big city and everything is very different. And he meets this woman and she's this powerhouse. Yeah, and, she's so different. She's it, it, Yeah, and it's cute because it's two levels. One of just, sit, you know, city woman, country boy. Mm-hmm. And then this mm-hmm. other level that you're mentioning too. 
Right. And and she portrays a strength and bravery um, that surpasses her own limits in the way that he wants to be. And so that I think he he instantly found attractive in her. And that's why he turned his head when he met Lois. Yeah. I love the scene in the alley. Yes. You know, yeah. her the, the way she just, by the way, not a reaction I would have. But when she tries to, you know, <laughs> knock that was, gun out of his hand. She was not having it. Yeah, she was just, and, and like you're saying, she's she's just this small lady. You know, what made her think that she could stand up to this mugger? And, you know, he even says, like, it's just a purse. Like, why, you know, but it's it's kind of her brand. I mean, she's fearless, truly fearless. Yeah, she, um, she anchors him really well to humanity. And really, it, it's not that far off for us because pretty much anybody that goes on to do something great, they're motivated by the, the connections they have with the people in their lives, the people that they love. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense that these superheroes would have the similar connections and be motivated that way. Right. But it's kind of interesting that, you know, Superman, his parent, he did lose his parents and his planet, but you don't get the sense that that's his entire motivation. Whereas when you compare that to some of the other superheroes like Batman, um, it is that, you know, it's like some horrible tragedy that sets everything into this, into motion. But it's kind of interesting to see characters like Superman that don't, that aren't motivated by something negative. Yeah. It, and that's why I think the, the story itself of Superman, the movie was so wonderfully done when Park Kent, understanding that Clark has lost his planet and lost his parents, still encourages him to find some purpose. Mm-hmm. And then... It turns out that Jor-El is still there, and and even when when Kal-El was a baby, and and Jor-El puts the crystal in the rocket and says he's not alone, he will never be alone. So you have you have this all-powerful character who is still grounded in his connections to real people who want the best for him for his own sake, mm-hmm. and so he he has almost like more mental health. Than, than any of the other Justice League. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah, he's not, he's really not, he's one of the few heroes that's not, like, damaged. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like he's not, he doesn't, he shouldn't be seeing a, a psychiatrist or he something. He has a healthy <laughs> network of people he can fall back on. Yeah. Unlike a lot of the other um, members of the Justice League or, or even members outside the League, too. Okay, so you have to tell me the helicopter scene with Lois. What did you think? Okay, I literally thought when we were watching it, I was like, this is just bananas. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, this is getting out of hand. (laughs) And then I read that the scene was supposed to be shorter, and then it just, it like keeps going. (laughs) I just thought, I thought it was like, wow, this is a lot happening in like a short amount of time, and it was just a lot. (laughs) That was my only thought. (laughs) So... One of the things that I love the most about that scene, not only do you get a true sense of panic from Lois. Oh, yeah. It was really real. She was just screaming at the top of her lungs, and it didn't feel like the movie, eek, you know, scream that you sometimes get with uh, with female characters. It felt like true, just terror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when she was hanging by nothing but the safety belt buckle. Yeah. It, I, I could feel it in my own hand slipping out, you know. Right. <laughs> Um, but the, the thought that I had is this is the first time that, that Clark reveals himself as Superman. I think he would not have done so had it not been Lois 
who was in danger. Mm. Yeah, because he was kind of told to keep it under wraps. Mm -hmm. And yet he had the suit on. Yeah. True. He was ready to go for... Which means he had felt protective of Lois beforehand. Mm -hmm. And just wanted to make sure and be nearby and be at the ready. You know, he was the true Boy Scout. Yep. He, was, he was prepared. <laughs> yeah, it's a great scene. Um, and then, of course, you know, for all of us who grew up on the fact that he changes in a phone booth, the, <laughs> the comedy bit where he walks up to a 1970s phone booth that doesn't have a door and just looks at it and shakes his head. <laughs> it's just, it, was, it was a classic <laughs> joke. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, that he goes through the revolving door and comes out Superman. As iconic of a scene as that is, People have to remember that earlier in the film, as Clark Kent, he bumbled and got caught in a revolving door. Right. And so Clark can't do it, but Superman does it to an iconic level. And it's the same revolving door. (laughs) That that is interesting. And, of course, Patty Jenkins took inspiration from that, and she reenacted that scene as Wonder Woman tries to go through a revolving door and bumps into it and the sword doesn't fit and because she is the embodiment of both at the same time. And so how do you answer that? Can she go through it or not? Because Clark couldn't, but Superman could. So Wonder Woman does, but with some difficulty. (laughs) Yeah, I love when I told Nick, I thought was really a nice touch was when Steve Trevor's trying to explain to her how to use it. She just goes, let me do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Nick, I have, I have an interesting question for you because part of what I, I thought that the Clark Lois Superman triangle was so rich is Clark got to hear Lois talk about Superman Mm -hmm. and Superman got to hear Lois's true thoughts about Clark. So as he fell in love with her, it was with total transparency and complete honesty because Lois didn't know any better to not talk about Clark when Superman was around. (laughs) So he really did know how she felt about him in both aspects. So how how great does that feel? I mean, it's like when you hear the girl that you have a crush on talk to one of her girlfriends about you, saying really nice things about you, and she doesn't know you're there, and you, you get to know that. And And so I thought that was just this wonderful, subtle dynamic that there were times where Clark would be opening the door for Lois after she had just seen Superman and she was misspeaking words backwards and she was bumping into things. Oh, and yeah. Clark, mm-hmm. Clark just has this smile like, yeah, that was for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think what's really refreshing about that is that he doesn't necessarily use it to his benefit either. No. He, he takes all that in and just kind of enjoys hearing it, but he doesn't... Um, he never trades on it. He never yeah. plays that card. Yeah, he doesn't like uh, act differently the next time he sees her. I thought that was kind of neat. He's he that is who he is, even though he knows some things that she doesn't know. He knows he still is the person she was talking about. Right, but but he still does that sixth grade thing that I remember doing. Of every now and then, you ask this question just to sort of see, you know, just, when just a test. Right when when Lois says, you know. Clark says you're a figment of people's imagination, like Peter Pan. And Superman's answer is, Clark, uh, who is he, your boyfriend or something? (laughs) It's like, there's that little part of Superman who's like, 
well, I, I really do want to know what she thinks about that. <laughs> like, is she open to it? Has it ever crossed her mind? You know, he wanted to gauge her response. And um, all of that contributes to why he loves her so much. Because not only does she sort of have that same core strength that that he wants to have, um, but he gets to just watch all of her feelings build and build and build. And so when he loves her, you really do understand why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, sometimes uh, the relationship in a movie, like a romantic relationship can sort of feel sort of shoehorned in, you know, in some action movies and some films like that or sci-fi movies. Um, But it, it feels like it's an integral part of this story. Like you can't tell Superman's story without, talking about his relationship with Lois Lane. Right. And and they built it. They didn't just say, well, Superman loves Lois because she's Lois. Yeah. They built it for you. Definitely. And and that's why when she died, we just couldn't believe it. I, I literally could not believe what I was watching when, <laughs> when she died. When, uh, when Lisa saw it the first time, she's like... <laughs> Wait, they didn't kill her off, did she? I was like, is she dead? (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I was truly shocked. Because, you know, a lot of times I do feel that in movies like this, uh, they will kind of use the the significant other that way. Like, oh, you know, if they die, uh, that's the whole motivation for the character. Or the the, um, significant other has to be kind of taken out of the way for the rest of the story. But with her, it's like you're so invested in her mm-hmm. and their relationship that it's like the movie's stopping for you. You're like, wait, what? No, that can't happen. And, mm-hmm. it, and it did stop. It had to be restarted. Yeah, it literally was wound <laughs> back, which I, it, because I hadn't seen this movie, I didn't know that was going to happen. So Nick was just laughing at me when I was like, she died. That was what are like you talking when, about? <laughs> when we were at the Justice League at the, the ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When we talked about it. <laughs> How many times you have to turn the earth back. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was aware he was able to do that. I didn't realize he did in this movie. He does it in some of the other movies too, right? Uh, no, he only no? does just the, this the one? one Okay, okay. Maybe I saw a cartoon. Or something. He's not the Flash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Barry's always messing stuff up for everyone. <laughs> he can't do it too much, otherwise he'd be doing it all the time, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was really surprised and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I, oh, go ahead. I just I had so many feelings when when that happened. Um, the the main one beyond just utter disbelief that Lois was was dead, and it wasn't just oh she's going to cough and then wake up. She was right. dead, <laughs> and and he held her and he was so gentle with her, and it it reminded me of the comic panels when Gwen Stacy died and and Peter was holding her, and you know and her head moved slightly and he caught her and he felt. He felt terrible that he even let her head slip a little bit, and you could just feel his his like he was apologizing. And yeah. then when he laid her on the dirt, he felt horrible that she had to lay in dirt. And he just and you just watched his face because he didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. And what you may not have noticed is that for everything that John Williams did with the music throughout this entire film, in this moment. It stopped. No, yeah, it's, it's silent. silent. And and it's so, I mean, when she dies, it feels so quick. It felt real, you know. It's like, boom, she's dead. Yeah. yeah. And then the silence adds weight to that scene because it makes it feel real. It's like you're taken out of the movie. You're not hearing the the Superman theme song, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way that the camera 
it would change angles and it would move further back at a new angle and then move even further back at another angle and move even further back at another angle and you really get the sense he's having to come to terms with how alone he now is. Mm -hmm. And you get the sense of this larger and larger space and he's smaller and smaller in it. And you start to see his, his face contort and I imagine that his thought is, I've done everything for everyone. This is my reward. Yeah. This is heavy. This is, is not right. Mm -hmm. And I, the first time that I remember crying in the theater was when I heard his roar. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone makes fun of, of the trope of no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and this is so far away from that. It's not even in the same galaxy when Superman stands up and looks at the sky and, and says to no one in his broken heart, this is, this is it. I I do, I do not accept this. And I will not accept this. And he just roared like, like I'd never heard anyone respond to grief in that way. And it was so powerful. And it was how a powerful man's heart breaks. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic scene. And you know, the whole rest of the movie, you're kind of feeling like Superman's in control. It's all fun and games. I mean, he's the most powerful being on earth and then in this moment, I mean, it's like the, at least for a brief moment, it feels like it's the one time he can't fix it. Right. And he's realizing that there, you know, there's sort of limits to this. There's finality to it. Right. Yeah. And um, it's it's a common thing to mock is is him turning the world back. Um, you know, even in Megamind, uh, <laughs> where the, the lowest character is talking to Megamind after uh, uh, Metro Man has died. And Megamind says, I've even tried to turn the world back. And she goes, can't you do it? And he goes, no, the science is impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And of course, you know, most people who see the film kind of turn their head with some Scooby-Doo like, (laughs) (laughs) like, how does that work? You know, Um, because that's that's not how time works. You don't make the earth rotate backwards. And and that's just not how it all works. Um, However, when you're when you're uh, a child of 10 and you, you want to believe that everything that you just saw is true, you don't stop researching until you find out how it works. <laughs> that's, so, that's awesome. Here is how it works. When you listen to the crystals talking to baby Kal-El in the rocket coming to Earth, one of the snippets of what Jor-El says is we're going to examine Einstein's theory of relativity and its basis in actual fact. Now, Einstein said that time works where one object is in relation to another object. So if you're in a rocket zooming through space, you're only moving in comparison to space, other planets, other suns, etc., and if you move fast enough, then you will start to go backwards in time, but compared to the fabric of, of space-time. When Superman flew around the world, he wasn't 
somehow grabbing the axis of the planet like a spinning top and turning it backwards and making it spin the other way. This isn't an Australian toilet. (laughs) (laughs) What he was doing was he was increasing his speed like a rocket in relation to a planet so that he and only he could go backwards in time if you could go fast enough in relation to the planet that you were comparing yourself to. When he went back far enough, he stopped both rockets and was able to arrive at Lois's car before she died. And it's very difficult to show Einstein's relativity theory in action on screen. And Donner said, well, I guess this is how we're going to have to do it. <laughs> but that's interesting that they planted that idea in there. I'll be honest. I didn't pick up on that. I, I, I really want to go back and just watch his, uh, his, uh, his journey from Krypton <laughs> to uh, Krypton. Yes. To Earth, because I <laughs> not according like, to Jorel. Jorel yeah, says Krypton. He refused to say Krypton. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of want to go back and rewatch it because I feel like you, you've actually brought up I think two or three times, and I feel like all yeah, those, I miss those snippets of uh, his learning. I feel like it's all foreshadowing for what's going to happen. Right. And mm-hmm. you kind of like get a little taste so of what's going to happen, and they don't just spell it out. Like, like I said, I haven't seen it probably since I was ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel like I, I do need to go rewatch it a right a second time a second yeah. uh, new uh, new eyes on it new uh, second time. Well, I I still have my ten year old fists up anytime anyone challenges me <laughs> about this movie. <laughs> and and the other challenge I get is when he when he first launched himself to do this and he was in the clouds and he could hear Jorel's voice saying it is forbidden to interfere in the course of human events which is another thing that he was taught in the fortress. Mm -hmm. In my mind, Cal heard that, but then he also remembered how he couldn't save Pa Kent. And you hear his own voice saying, all those things I can do, all those powers, and I couldn't even save him. Mm -hmm. And you, you almost hear him finish that dot, dot, dot. So then what is the point of having all this power? Right. And so my answer, my little... Ten-year-old answer is he didn't interfere in the course of human events. He just saved Lois. Yeah. And it, it, it creates a, a reason why he's not doing it all the time. And why he's not doing it all the time. Because someone else said, you know, if he had gone back further, he could have stopped this and this and this. And I said, yeah, but that would have been interfering with the course mm-hmm. of human events. Right. Yeah, because he still, he saved Lois, but then he still had to go into the earth to prevent the... Uh, the big uh, earthquake on the fault. I mean, right. he, he had to prevent that. It wasn't his, his, uh, he didn't interfere and reverse that event. He had to stop that himself. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I will defend this with my last breath in the way that, <laughs> that others will say that Indiana Jones was ineffectual in Raiders. <laughs> Come at me, bro, with this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and also with these movies, I mean, you have to suspend a little bit of belief. It is, you know, yeah. it's not nonfiction. <laughs> it's okay for there to be some liberties as long as the overall story stays true and, and 
is clear and makes sense. And if they connect the dots in the film itself, I, that's enough for me. Right. It doesn't have to be quote unquote realistic, you know? Yeah. I, I don't go to these movies with, uh, again, AP class physics book in my yeah. pocket or <laughs> That doesn't sound very fun anyway. <laughs> it's too dark in there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand that. I'm, I'm glad you told me that though. Now I have an answer when somebody brings it up to me. <laughs> that, well, Daniel says <laughs> it happens and that, so often, and that is my mission on this earth, right? <laughs> um, are there any other scenes that you can think of that that you wanted to to t- to talk about? Um, let me think. I mean, those are obviously the ones that that hit the deepest and and resonated the most. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that the film did a great job of every now and then giving you a little bit of of comedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. a break, you know, because there's a lot of action, but it's okay to give the audience a break and have the characters just talk and get to know each other. Yeah. Um, I I will tell you that because you didn't watch the expanded edition, there was a scene that you missed when young Clark is racing the train in Smallville. Mm-hmm. and a little girl is looking out the window with her binoculars, and she's trying to wake up her mother and point out the window. Look, there's this this guy running faster than the train. After that, you hear the conversation inside the train, and the mother wakes up, and the little girl says, Mommy, Mommy, there was a, a man, and he ran faster than the train. And the mother says to the little girl, Lois Lane, you have such an imagination. <laughs> oh, oh wow. You are going to be quite the writer someday. <laughs> hmm. Better than that, the woman who plays the mom is Noel Neal, who was Lois Lane in the black and white TV show. TV show. Wow. And what a lot of people don't know is that Noel Neal was Lois Lane in the Superman movie serials. Oh, okay. Where Superman was played by a man named Kirk Allen. On the train... Little Lois's father is reading the newspaper across from Noel Neal, and that's Kirk Allen. Hmm. Yeah, it seemed like they, they focused on that guy for, for some reason. Anyone who had grown up at any point from the 1940s on would have known his face. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't have a background on those movies, but <laughs> looks like I've got some research to do after this. <laughs> Which is always what I love about doing these. It's like you can look up some facts and get a cute, a few quick tidbits, you know. But my understanding will never be as strong as somebody who's really passionate about the film. So, well, I'm I'm just um, I'm I'm so gratified to see what's happening with with Wonder Woman now because I feel like the spirit of Superman the movie is really coming back. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I, I will say that of all the single images in the entire film, um, the one that made me the most compare the new Wonder Woman to Superman the movie is in Superman the movie when baby Kal-El catches the truck that is about to fall on Pa Kent yeah. and just oh, lifts yeah. it up. And he's an infant, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he has these rosy cheeks and he just has this smile and when we saw baby Diana on the island watching the warriors and she had her little fists up and she yes. had those those baby cheeks and that smile, <laughs> I thought, yeah. that's it. I loved being able to see that because from, from their infancy, you saw their heart. 
Yeah. It's like, because uh, part of the character is sort of like a naiveness and innocence, and it's refreshing to see that at the end of it, the character doesn't completely lose that. Yeah. That's not their entire arc is losing all of that, you know? They yeah. keep it, and it's part of what makes them who they are, and it's uh, it's inspiring, and it sort of motivates other people around them. And and there's a purity to it that that I like in in both of the characters. That you know you can contrast that with stories like Tony Stark and and Stephen Strange, who were not truly good people, but they had to learn to be. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Kal El and Diana were always truly good people. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just they're able to retain that. And the, and they, the events that happen to them don't take that away. It doesn't, like, dirty their their look on life. Yeah. Right. And and I think that is, to me, the inspiring part. And that's why I love this movie. And that's why I will <laughs> always love this movie is it's... It's a morality tale, and it's and it's an Aesop fable, and it's all of those wonderful stories that you could ever hope for, all wrapped up in one of how you can hold on to being a good person, knowing the world is what it is, and not being in denial about it, and not being um, so self-protective that you choose to just ignore things about the world, but how you can still contribute and how you can still find a purpose and how you can still be someone who others would say, I'm glad you're here and how you can still hold on to all of that as a good person is such a great story to watch. Yeah. And I I think also who Superman is like, again, sometimes people say like, Oh, he's just a boy scout and he's so goody goody. But I think what kind of gets lost or ignored if, if not for this movie or if not for some of the, the ways he, he's portrayed in the comics, is that that's a real challenge to, to keep that outlook, you know? Yes. There's something, it doesn't mean that that person is just so naive they don't know what the world is like. It's that they're able to keep, you know, that sense of purpose and sense of righteousness above what they're seeing, what they're dealing with. And I think sometimes that gets kind of overlooked, you know? Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, even Marvel, um, I was so thrilled at the new Black Panther trailer because there's the line, you are a king and a good man. Mm-hmm. And it is very difficult to be a king when you're a good man. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the trailer looks great. I'm excited. But but there it is. There's the theme. Mm-hmm. Be- because that's relatable to those of us who want to be good men. You're right. Cue John Williams theme. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we need like something now. <laughs> I have nothing to follow it up with, but it was really good. It left us speechless. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a couple of questions for you now. Uh, what keeps you coming back to this movie? I feel like you've answered this a little bit already. <laughs> but if you could sum up maybe in a couple lines, what keeps you, why do you keep watching this movie? Why do you think you've seen it so many times? <sighs> because <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, the Iliad and the Odyssey, the, the themes of heroism are, are so deep that they're not touched by current events, whatever the current events might be. Mm-hmm. Timeless, yeah. They're, they're just timeless. Um, and it, it's reinvigorating, I think. I mean, it, this is a movie where if, if I were in a low part in my life, I might just pop this in just to, to reboot a little bit. 
and um you know like logan like i just want to be in the same room as this yeah <laughs> you know i'm not saying that that it's some magic fix but it's just nice to be in the same room with it mm-hmm. um and to remind yourself oh that's right that's right and it, it um i don't think i'll ever outgrow that yeah well i think also when you mentioned earlier that you were 10 when you saw it I mean, that plays a part, I think, too, in that that time in your life, you know, you're a kid, you're optimistic, you're happy, and it's like this movie kind of embodies that so you can return back to that moment just mm-hmm. by popping it in, too, you know? Yeah, and I wore glasses, and the, the girl I liked didn't know who I was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing some parallels here. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's what's so great to me about about movies in general is that they really do. They really are kind of like a time capsule. I mean, in the way that they're always going to sort of embody that time that it came out, you know, the seventies. Um, but it also sort of captures a personal moment for someone that's so in love with it too, because it just, it's full of so much meaning, um, for you because of your personal experience with it. And yeah, it's awesome to talk to somebody that has that experience with different movies because it makes you view that movie in a different light, you know? I will say that Superman did for me what I think um, Inside Out has done for a lot of kids of this generation mm-hmm. in that Inside Out blatantly says, look, you're having feelings and, and they're all good. You know, they just they need to have a balance and they need, you need to understand that that's just the way that that everyone is. Right. But but what Inside Out did is it also showed other people have feelings, too. Mm-hmm. And when someone else is angry, there might be a reason that they're angry. Because yeah. they also have six or seven things going on inside of them and they may not even understand what is going on inside of them. So Inside Out was a great film to, to teach kids about that. Believe it or not, Superman was that for me because I got to see so many things inside of Clark. Yeah, he was complicated. He was, he was complicated and a situation would arise and you would watch as, as this combination of all of these things would come together as he would navigate these things. Mm-hmm. You you saw a combination of Pa Kent and Ma Kent and Jor-El and the love that he still carried from his mother and the the guardian that he wanted to be for all humanity and the protector that he wanted to be for Lois. And you saw all of these things and it and, and you would even see him get tired and you would see him sometimes get weak. Um, and it just was a like a mirror to me of it's okay to have multiple feelings at different times, but watch him. He, he still can, can pull it together and he can still do what is the right thing as best as he can think of what the right thing is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're asking me as a 10 year old, you know, why did it resonate so much? Because for me, that was my example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's what's great about movies like Superman that, you know, are kind of all ages is because you're introducing these ideas and concepts to, uh, you know, a younger generation. It's like you can have those deeper themes and not exclude age groups, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and you're not a dork to be a good person. Right. <laughs> As Superman proves. Right. So what would you say to someone, pretend like I'm me two weeks ago, and I can't remember what you said to me, <laughs> but what... I think just tell Lisa what you told her two weeks ago. Yeah, what would you say to someone that's never seen this movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what I told you is, see it, see it, see it, see it. I think it was in all caps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that... If, if you want to trace back so much of what you like of hero movies today to the original Wellspring, see this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'll see parts of Captain America. And you'll see parts of, oh, you know, Wonder Woman. And, mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll see parts of... of King Arthur, frankly. I mean, you you really can go back and if you if you like current movies about heroism, you will like to see the grandfather of all of them. Um, let's see. I think those are my last two questions. Well, luckily, well, go ahead. there's a sequel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we can definitely do this again. Um, yeah, this, this has been so great. Um, like I said, I, I hadn't seen this movie before we decided to do this episode. So I was like, Oh good. This is, this is happening, you know, because I was pulling a lot of my guests from, uh, close circles. So we kind of, I mean, we just like a lot of the same movies. So, you know, that made it really easy. I could jump in and just say everything I liked about that movie. But the goal of my podcast really was to talk to people about a movie that they really, are deeply passionate on that they connect with and, you know, kind of just explain to me why they like it so much. Um, because I think that that's really valuable. Um, I think that it gives you better insight into a movie when you talk to someone that has that connection. So I think it's really cool. And I mean, just from everything that you've told us about over this episode, it makes me want to go back and pop it in right now (laughs) and catch up on all that. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that's, that's really awesome. And again, I, I think another really cool connection to the Superman movie is just that it, you know, inspired you also to, to volunteer as Superman. Mm-hmm. How cool would 10 year old you think that is? A 10 year old me would be flying <laughs> <laughs> just, just to know that. Yeah. Well, ending on a heavy note, <laughs> but you know, sometimes that's good. Um, I think uh, I think this is really great. I, I really appreciate that you took the time out to talk to us about this. Um, I know you said you love talking about this movie, so it wasn't too yeah. hard. But I do I do appreciate not, it. Not putting them out too much. Yeah. No, no, we're only about ten minutes in, right? We're good. <laughs> right. We're gonna. We have three more hours to go. Yeah. Um, and, no. and I hope I hope you don't mind that I wasn't my usual uh, comedic self on on my podcast. Obviously, it's it's much more lighthearted and and oh, funny. No no, uh-huh. it, 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 I think it always depends on the, the subject matter. You know, if it's a movie that is just 100% for your fun, then I feel like the episodes kind of reflect that. But there are some movies that, like this one, there's a deeper connection to that you want to talk about and explore. And I think that that's how the, the episode should be. So I think it's a good thing. Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I've been looking forward to this and, and it was every bit as, as fun as, and, um, 
and I just I really enjoyed having the the connection with you talking about it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, also, let's let's go ahead and plug your podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Fan Bro Friends, and all of our episodes will be uh, announced there. It is short for the Fantastic Justice Squad Super Wonder Brother Friends who review stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, although I've told my brother, um, my actual brother, who uh, is 10 years younger than I, so we, we get to have a, a different perspective on things due to our, our decade of age difference. Yeah. Um, but with Spider-Man coming out soon, I've said we need to rename our show The Friendly Neighborhood Fantastic Justice Squad <laughs> Super Wonder Brother Friends who review stuff. Awesome. Um, but you can also find me at Secret Alias Man on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, and I do. I, I highly recommend your podcast. I've, I put it in the group, and I've told Nick and I have listened to it together. Um, I think your reviews are really fair. And even if I don't 100% agree, I think that you explain all your points very well. And you and your brother have great chemistry, probably because you're brothers. <laughs> and, I, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's really great. Um, and, I, again, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us about this and definitely want to have you back. Sounds like you've already picked your next movie, so that won't be too hard. <laughs> but, yeah, anytime. Yeah, plot twist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Superman wants to talk about Superman. Is this Again. a Shyamalan film? Is it... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> but awesome. Again, thank you so much, and I guess I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I will see you tomorrow. All righty. All right. Have a good Thanks night. Again. Have yes. a good night. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. This episode was so fun. Um, I had never seen this movie before, as you heard, so it's really kind of refreshing to watch a movie and then have the guests kind of just tell me everything that they love about it, just explain to me every detail that they enjoy. Um, I will also put up some pictures of Daniel and, um, and myself uh, in our other lives, as he described it, volunteering as part of Heroic Inner Kids. Um, so I will put some links to all that. I will put them on Twitter, Instagram, and in our FB group. Again, you can find me on Twitter at AYA Lisa Cosplay. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram. This one's a little longer. A-Y-A, N as in Nancy, A-M-I, Lisa. And then you can find us in our Facebook group. Again, that's called I Love That Movie. It's a private group, but all you got to do is send me a request and I will add you. So uh, if you want a safe space to talk about movies that you love, even if it's not a you know, certified fresh uh, movie, that's okay. We won't judge you. You can just discuss it with us and I'll put the pictures there too. Um, so that wraps up for this week. Once again, if you guys could leave us a review on Apple podcasts, that would be awesome. And any positive review you leave, um, you're automatically entered to win a $20 gift card. We've got a few reviews so far. I'm lowering the number to 15. So if we can just get, I think it's like 10 more reviews, you will get a, uh, gift card most likely because I will do a random name and that's only 15 names. Pretty good odds. So please leave that for us. Um, also subscribe. When you subscribe and review, that enables more people to find this podcast. So um, I really appreciate all the support from you guys um, and I look forward to hearing from you guys next week. See you later. Bye.